What's up, guys? Welcome to the Steady Hands Barber Club. My name is Jacob, and today in the studio we have Eddie Guerrero hey. and Patrick Bost. Hello. Today we are going to have an interview with the author of The American Barbershop, A Closer Look at a Disappearing Place, and that's written by uh, Dr. Mick Hunter. Dr. Hunter in his career has held licenses as an alcohol and drug counselor, a psychologist, and a marriage family therapist. He is currently working as a psychotherapist and has eight books out, all of which you can find in the description down below. And let's just get into it. Yeah, let's get into the podcast. Perfect. Perfect. He goes by Mike. Oh, okay. Mick? Mick? Mick or Mike? Ooh. Ooh, you should ask him. All right, calling Before him. Before we actually start recording it. I think it's Mick. Good morning. Hey, Mick. How you doing? Doing so far so good. All right, all right. Ugh. Cool. So, uh... We're in the uh, we're in the studio with uh, Eddie and Patrick. Hello. How's it going? You're on speaker. Also, does it sound all right on your end? Yeah, I can hear you fine. All right, I beautiful. come through okay. Cool, 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 cool. All right. Um. <laughs> okay. Yeah. By the way, I just wanted to give you a little backstory on us. I know we've uh, talked briefly, so we're uh. So we're a barbering podcast out of Woodstock, Georgia. All three of us are uh, barbers. We went to barber school together. Um, and we all ended up working at the same shop together. And so uh, over time, we just, well, we love barbering, barbering culture and everything that has to do with that. And uh, after a while, we started uh, meeting up and talking with each other, and then we came up with the conclusion that we should just uh start a podcast yeah yeah so <laughs> and uh it was actually a real surprise because uh i had found your book through an instagram page i was looking on their coffee table and i saw your book so i'm like what's that i look it up on amazon i find it and actually through your book i also found other barbering books too so yeah. it's really cool that I don't know, you were able to just collect all this stuff together because now I have a, a growing library of books dedicated to barbering. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. it's a, the, And the nice thing about this is you bothered to read it and you know something about it because when, it, for, when the book came out, it was sent out to all these, you know, resources. And, and so and they even have a list of questions to ask the author. And the first question would always be, so this book is about the barbershop quartet then, huh? It's like, oh, no, that has nothing to do with it, actually. But. <laughs> yeah. I actually found that the the book itself was really unique because it cataloged a time and a culture that really wasn't documented too well. Out, Like, we're talking about post-World War II, like... Uh, up to the 90s barbering yeah. that was just 
it, it was just it was just out there like it was just like yeah it's just the barbershop why would anyone want to catalog this but i'm really glad that you ended up doing that because it gives us a really great insight into that time yeah yeah i think a lot of people just thought that it was it didn't matter anymore that it was just you know it, old barbers will die and then and it'll be gone it'll be like you know yeah, there are blacksmiths, but you know they're in historical villages, and they'll you know they'll probably have a little barber exhibit. You know that people really in those days thought that it was just a, a dying art. Mm. So, because I, mean, I tell people that you know that I'm doing a documentary on barber shops, and they go, "Well, why?" Mm-hmm. You know, they just didn't get it. Yeah. So, with your what do you do currently in your current practice and your job? I'm a psychotherapist. I work with uh, rape survivors and incest victims and combat veterans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you did that uh, before you started the barbering documentary also. Yeah. The, the, the documentary didn't start out as a documentary, basically. Mm-hmm. It, uh, <clears throat> It, it, what happened was that I went to visit my friend in my my hometown, and we were walking. It was Sunday, and we were walking down the street in the small town. And I went, "Hey, wait a minute, where's the barber shop?" And he said, "Oh, that closed up. You know, it got replaced by this hair salon in the mall. You know." And I went, "Oh," and, and I, I didn't care because I hadn't been there for years. And uh, but but I also thought about, "Wow, you know those chairs they have? Those are really cool." I. You know, that was fun when I was a kid, these chairs that go up and down and all this stuff. I'd like to get one of those. And so when I'd be traveling around, I'd, I'd stop in little, uh, I'd stop in antique dealers and see if I could find one. Well, you know, they wanted thousands of dollars for them. And I was just like, no, I'm not paying that. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, you know, I wonder if there's some barber that's like getting ready to retire or something. I could go in and maybe get one from him. <clears throat> so I started, you know, I'd start... When I'd be driving through some little town, I'd pull over, go in the barber shop, and what I found out is, if you know, if I walked into the door and said, "Hey, excuse me, can I buy one of your barber chairs?" It'd be like, "Hey, you know, do you have a daughter I can buy?" You know, it's just like not okay to just <laughs> walk in, you know. <clears throat> and so I, what I do is I'd sit down and and uh, and I'd wait till there was a customer, and then I'd come in and sit down, and then I'd just sit there and kind of not, you know, not in, interrupt or anything. And uh, but then it kind of looked weird that I was sitting there. So I'd say, well, you mind, you know, mind if I take your, you know, some pictures? So I would, not because I particularly wanted the pictures, but because I, it justified why I was sitting there with my camera. <clears throat> you know, not everybody had a phone in those days with a camera in it. And so, mm-hmm. so then I started actually getting interested in it. And uh, like, well, why, you know, like, how can they have two chairs? You know, and so, well, one is closer to the air conditioner for the summer and one is closer to the window in the um, winter and you get the sunlight and you know having two chairs implies i'm hopeful that that, that you know i'm going to have another barber someday and it's going to get bigger hmm. you know people like successful businesses you know and so nobody wanted to sell their chair and but i i kept it was kind of fun after that you know i was like you know even if i found out well you don't want to sell your chair i'm still hanging out taking pictures and stuff and and then finally this one guy said uh well i i do have another chair uh, it's in my basement. I had all these kids that I, I had five kids. And so I had a chair in my basement. I cut the hair there instead of dragging them down to the shop and said, well, you know, you're interested in selling that one. He goes, well, you know, it's in 
pretty good shape and you know i have to get top dollar for it and everything and i said well you know i, I don't know what you're talking about he goes well, i i you know I'd, I'd have to get 50 bucks like all right all right oh you know and i went and you know i rented a trailer and you know sped over to his house and his you know and i had to get a, his kids over because the things weigh you know this nine tons mm. you know and to get this thing up the stairs because you got to be able to support a 300 pound guy reclining so he can get a shave so these things are built you know and so i had that in my house and and everybody loved it you know and and but i kept i still kept going because i, I just became fascinated with the culture and i realized that this, the psychology of it is you know this is where boys traditionally learned how to be men mm-hmm with an, with an informal, uh, education, you know, and that, you know, I, I realized that there were these rites of passage that I didn't think of as rites of passage at the time. Like it used to be, you know, my mother would come out, take me to the barber shop and sit and wait for me. Well, then it got to the point where she'd take me to the barber shop and, and then give them the money and leave. And then it would got to the point where it would be that, She'd give me the money, you know, and so there are all these little steps about how I'm, I'm become, you know, becoming more responsible, more adult, and all of that stuff. And, you know, I think the two biggest ones for me were, well, three. three. One is that usually when there were guys sitting there talking, even though it would be their turn to go, they'd say, I'll let the boy go so they could continue, continue their conversation. Mm-hmm. And so then I'd go up. Well, one time, you know, there were these guys talking. I stood up and went to go sit down and the guy turns to me and says, Hey buddy, wait your turn. And I'm like, oh, wow. I'm like a man now. You know, I got to wait my turn. Yeah. And you know, I was so proud of that. And the other one was when I, uh, got, the first time I got my neck shaved, you know, that the boys, they didn't do that. They just, you know, used the clippers and, and, uh, scissors. But you know, the first, and the, you, I could tell that you don't ever ask for it that this was something the barber decided, you know, well, now you're old enough, I'm going to do this. And then later on, I had a job on that same street, and I'd stand in the window, I was selling clothes, and I'd see some young guy go by, and he'd be rubbing the back of his neck, and it'd be like, ah, yeah, got his first shave on the back of his neck, you know, now, yeah, you're a man now. And the other one was when I got to pick up a Playboy and not be told to put it back, you know, that... <laughs> I was trying to be sneaky as I put it inside of a Sports Illustrated and, <laughs> you know, I was looking at it. But then I looked up, everybody was looking at me smiling because I was sitting in front of a mirror, you know, and they the reflection <laughs> showed them, you know, and they were like, oh, he's a heck, fuck, he's old enough, you know. Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, it's it's interesting to when we were all reading these stories in your book, how when we were trained as in, in the traditional sense, you know, traditional barbering. And so we actually, without, you know, being spurred on to do those things, we found ourselves doing that. Like after a certain point of cutting a young boy's hair with just the trimmers, you know, there's yeah. like that moment when you see like, oh, I think they're ready for the razor. And yeah. we, we asked them like, would you like a neck shave? And yeah. they, they're, they're like, they're like sort of like, uh, I, I yeah, guess. it's like it catches them off guard. Yeah, know? and then they're yeah. usually their mother or their father is there, and then like, yeah, yeah, go son, you're ready, you're ready, and yeah. they're always so ex- the parents are always so excited. They've got their camera out and they're like taking pictures oh, yeah. of their boys' first neck shave, and I'm I'd say that that's probably one of my favorite things. Just like we still have 
we're still carrying on a tradition of that kind from boyhood to manhood. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and that, you know, so often we, we don't have very many formal rites of passage in, in, in most of our society. Yeah. And that, that that's one where the kid doesn't have to risk his life or, you know, that it's, it's something that's public and he doesn't have to do it in secret and that uh, it can be celebrated. Mm-hmm. Now, when you were um, growing up, did you have a barbershop that you went to that shut down? Yeah, I, I went to the same one uh, all my childhood, and then uh, I started growing my hair long, and the barber wouldn't cut it. Ah. Well, he'd cut it. He, he actually would come out on, he, he would leave a customer, rush out and see me, and he'd say, I'll give you a free haircut. I said, well, I know what kind of haircut you're going to give me. You know, you're going to cut it all off because it wasn't seen as a just a hairstyle. It was seen as a, a political statement, mm-hmm. you know, because the Vietnam War was going on. And so when people say, well, you know, the Beatles wrecked the barbering. No, what happened was, you know, that, that you know, they got longer hair, but you can still cut longer hair. People do it. It was that barbers didn't want to cut that style because they saw it as a political statement that was un-American or against the war or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that, if they, you know, so I went, you know, I went to my mother's hair salon guy, hair, hair salon guy at, when it was closed because he didn't want anybody to know he was cutting guy's hair because he would get in trouble. And so I'd get my hair cut there. Well, then I just stopped going to the barber. Like, well, you know, you guys don't want to, you know, serve me. You know, I don't need you then. Forget it. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until I started going back to, uh, you know, to do this, what turned out to be this documentary where I said, I'm, I'm going to get my hair cut here. You know, this is this is like a, a homecoming for me. You know, it, it, when I um, <clears throat> when I finished the project, I, I took it to the Minnesota Historical Society, thinking that they would be interested in this. Their first response was, well, you know. You went all over America. It's not just about Minnesota. And I said, well, okay, yeah, but what do you think? And they said, well, you know, we need the date and place of every photograph in the book. Mm. And I said, I said, no, you don't get it. See, now look at this photograph here. You know, there's a, there's a calendar of, Ken, you know, John F. Kennedy in it. Now that means it, it wasn't before him. <laughs> but you have no idea whether I took that yesterday or five years ago or 10 years ago. Mm. That's the point. Things don't change. And, and they said, yeah, well, we need all that documentation. And I just thought, I don't, you're missing the point here. And so I went home and I took all of my notes and I shredded them so that oh. I, couldn't, I couldn't do it. And I thought, I'd rather not publish it than publish it under those circumstances. And so, you know, finally, then I did find somebody who got it and uh, was able to get it into print. So did you ever think that this book you published would be so integral um, to the history of barbering and that it would be, like, to this day um, circulated in all these, like, barber, barber enthusiast groups? Yeah. You know, like, not only have we seen this book on people's other barbers uh coffee tables but there's been references to it in other 
documentaries and things like that. Did you ever think it, that it was going to be? And in our own schooling. Yeah, and in our own yeah. barber school, it was referenced. So did you ever think that you'd be making such a big impact? Well, I, I had two extremes. It is one of one was that I got a call from the guy who uh, was had made lots of money in business, but he always wanted to be a barber. So he so he retired early, and this guy was so committed. He had a barber shop scene tattooed over his whole back, like you know, a, a customer in a chair and the whole. I mean, it was huh. like the Mona Lisa of barbershop tattoos. <laughs> and uh, he said, I'm going to open the first traditional barbershop in downtown Los Angeles. For, for the, There hasn't been a, a new one in 40 years. And I want you to come out, and I want you to spend the day with, the, with the, uh, my new barbers, and I want you to explain to them their culture. Because they're, 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 they're basically young men who didn't grow up with barbershops. And, and he said, so, and then they stayed open 24 hours and we stood out on the street and gave, you know, and had people, uh, you know, we, you know, people coming out of bars and Hey, you need a trim, you know, Hey, you need a shade, you know? And the, uh, the guys were like, nah, I don't, you know, forget it. And, the, and their dates were like, come on, honey, that'll be fun. You know, and they go in and, and they started coming back then because they liked it. <laughs> so at that, ex- that level, the other extreme was, so I, I had a uh, local uh, bookstore here, part of a chain, and they said we're gonna, because you're a local author, we're gonna have a book signing, and they you know, had stuff on the radio and and posters everywhere, and they're, you know every 15 minutes they'd say you know meet the author of you know the American Barber Shop, and and uh, I'm sitting there with a pile of books and and uh, nobody. Hmm. And this one woman walks over to me and she goes, "Excuse me, can you tell me where the science fiction section is?" I said, "I don't, I don't actually work here. I'm, <laughs> I'm actually a local author, and I, my book just was published. And uh, you know, what do you, you know, are you, are you interested in it?" And she said, "Well, I'm trying to buy a, a book for Christmas for my boss." And I said, "Well, how old is the guy?" And she says, oh, he's in his late fifties." Oh, this is perfect, you know. And I start telling and giving her spiel about the book and. He'd love it, and it's you know when I sent it to one of the publishers, you know I called him up and I said, "Hey, did you chance to read the book yet?" He goes, "Are you kidding me? I opened it up, I read the whole thing, I laughed, I cried, I I, I, I left early. I went to my dad in the nursing home. I I read it in the book. He laughed, he cried, you know. And I said, "So you want to publish it?" He goes, "Oh hell no, I won't sell." <laughs> and and uh, <clears throat> there's no market for it, and. Uh, it's weird because then I was on a, on a this big AM station in like North America, and uh, they you know fifty million people listen every night, and they you know I was supposed to be on for three minutes, and they said uh, you know they come back at the break, hey can you do another three minutes? Yeah, hey can you do another three minutes? And every you know, every commercial they come back, hey can you do another three minutes? I was on for an hour and a half. They said yeah, we have never seen you know this kind of response, you know. And I thought, man, I'm gonna sell. You know, what what is one percent of fifty million people? You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna sell all kinds of books. I didn't sell a single book. Huh. It was weird. So back to this this woman in the bookstore. So she says, yeah, I don't know, I don't I don't know if you'd be interested in this. So she wanders off to find science fiction. Comes back and she says, yeah, I couldn't find anything in science fiction. So uh, I don't know, maybe I'll get your book. And I said, uh, well, what does your uh, what does your boss do? Oh, he's a barber. Wow. So that, that that would make you a barber? Yeah. So I can't sell a book on barbering to a barber? 
<laughs> like, what's with that, you know? And I, I think maybe that it was like they didn't get that. I mean, it's like the whole idea of fish don't know what water is. You know, that maybe if you grew up with the barber culture and you are always in it, you don't realize it's a culture. Right. And that there are un unspoken rules and, and things like that. And, and that's what was so fascinating to me when people said, oh, you know, I guess this doc this documentary was a, you know, because I've written psychology books. And they say, oh, this was a break from psychology. And I go, no, it wasn't. It was the psychology of the barbershop. But I know enough not to have that in the title, you know. And that all of it was about, you know, like I, one of the things I talked about was positive peer pressure, where this uh, um, there's a older barber and an older customer, and this younger man comes in, and the older customer says, "Yeah, you go ahead and take him." And so they get him in the chair, and they get a, you know, the barber's working on him, and the and the barber says, "Say, hey, uh, saw you at the VFW dance last night, you know, uh, dancing with Mrs. So and So, you know." Oh, yeah. Dancing uh, pretty close you were. Yeah, I guess, you know. And then he turns to the customer and goes, hey, uh, you remember when we went to their wedding, you know? Yeah, I remember that we went to their wedding. Yeah, we went to their wedding. I remember that. And then you can see this, the facial expression on the customer, you know, the young customer, like, oh, they're telling me to cut that out. Hmm. That's positive peer pressure. Like, we live in a small town. You, you, don't, you don't want to be doing that. That's not. That's going to mess up the VFW. That's going to mess up the church. That's going to mess up the PTA. No, you don't want to be doing that. Mm -hmm. And we're watching you. That's psychology. Or, the, you know, the, there's a series of photographs in there, you know, where you see the old, the really old barber talking to the young guy. Mm -hmm. Well, that guy waited like five different barbers in order to get that, that particular barber. And he sat down and he started talking about he's having girlfriend problems. And, and this guy, Barbara talked to him for like half an hour. And you can see the guy's face change expression. And he, and he starts to get up and he says, oh, well, I'm here. I might as well get a haircut. <laughs> I mean, that was just like, that's the excuse for coming. He came for advice. And I don't know if, if you're, any of your instructors said, you know, how you're supposed to be as a barber, but I, I, I sat for an afternoon and watched this guy, and, well, you know, the first customer comes in and, and says, you know, um, Bill Clinton's, you know, the Antichrist and is destroying our, you know, our way of life, and the barber goes, damn right, you know, like, I, you know, where's Lee Harvey Oswald when you need him, you know? And the next guy comes in and says, you know, Bill Clinton's the Antichrist and he's destroying our way of life, and the barber goes, are you kidding me? He's the best president we ever had, and they have a big argument. They leave, you know, and uh, just all day long, this is going on. And, and I said, I have no idea what you believe, you know, mm -hmm. because you've taken every possible side on, on every possible argument. He goes, yeah, that's my job. This guy wants a fight. This guy wants somebody to agree with him. That, you know, that's what he wants. That's what he gets. You know, what, you know, I give him the haircut he wants. I give him what, you know, I give him the barber that he wants. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because how many, how how many of those traits of barbering, even though we haven't... So actually at the shop we're at right now, we don't have a master barber that we train under. Uh, yeah. We were, we, were act, we were, you know, trained up by a, a master barber that was in traditional barbering. But when we started working, we were put into an, a barbershop where the owner 
was you know a very good businessman but was not yeah. a barber himself so when you say stuff like that you know that like you know it's like wow i found that in my own life you know you tend to be more you tend to be a lot of things to a lot of people yep and well that that's the way it is in psychology as a psychologist as a therapist mm-hmm. I, I had one guy at the end of a uh, we had worked together for a while and i said you know <clears throat> Just, I always ask everybody this, you know, what do you think it was about our relationship that was helpful? And he said, well, I don't think I could have done the depth of work that I did, you know, other than I had to have a, a, a Jewish gay uh, recovering alcoholic as a therapist. <laughs> I said, really? And my wife's going to be surprised to learn that. You know, and he said, oh, you don't, you, know, you don't have to hide from me. You know, I know. And I said, no, I'm none of those things. And he goes, ah, I don't believe you. And I was like, okay, well, I, that's, I guess that's a, a great compliment. Hmm. That he he that he I could be what he needed, or that I could be neutral enough that he could see what he wanted to see. Hmm. Yeah, oftentimes I've found that you yeah you, you are a lot of things to a lot of people. You're agreeable, but I like you know we also have like those like core things about us that you know when we start getting to know people or they start becoming a regular as more of our own character starts coming out. Yeah. So when, well, it, it works the other way too. I'll say one more thing about that is, mm-hmm. is, um, <clears throat> I, um, was talking to this one barber and he said he had cut this guy's hair for 20 years every week. And, uh, somehow I said, well, you, you never refer to him by name. And he said, I don't know his name. I said, you, don't, you know this guy for 20 years, you don't know his name? Look, if the guy wanted me to know his name, he'd tell me his name. Huh. That's interesting. That actually brings up one of the questions I had. Like, it, it, Unless this is in re- what you just said was in reference to that, one of the rules posted in a shop was no last names. Like, was that the significance of that? It was just like the... <clears throat> The, if someone wanted to be anonymous, they could. Yeah, I, you know, I work with a lot of recovering alcoholics, and and a lot of people think that Alcoholics Anonymous. The main reason that people are anonymous is because they're ashamed to be alcoholics, and the actual reason is that the idea is you're there just by for who you are, not your position or your title or your education. Um, Bill W., the guy, one of the guys that founded AA, was or Time Magazine offered him to be Man of the Year, and he declined it. And they said, "Well, we'll, we'll photograph you from behind and put you on the cover. You know, it'll just be the back of your head. You can stay anonymous." And he said, "No, I can't afford what he called big shot itis. You know, I need mm-hmm. to stay anonymous. I just need to be Bill. I'm Bill. I'm a recovering alcoholic, just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And you know that." that uh one one time i went into a a, um, a barber shop and there was a bunch of customers and this guy comes in in a suit and and people just gave him non-stop crap just joking making fun of him and everything and uh so he was the last customer of the day and he sits down and and uh it, it kind of came out somehow that he uh, I, I think something like the barber asked him some qu- political question and it came out that he was the governor of the state yeah. <laughs> and I, I said, you know, I, I, can't you get like a barber come in and cut your hair, or isn't there like a capital barber shop or something like that? You know, and he says, oh yeah, 
He says, uh, no, I come here because I'm, I'm taking a poll. He said, did you see how much shit those people gave me when I came in? I must be doing a good job that they think they can do that. You know, if I come in and they all get quiet, it's like, oh, man, I'm in trouble. What am I doing wrong? You know, and I had one uh, customer, it's not the same barbershop, but I, you know, he said he drove uh, 200 miles because this barber had retired and moved to another town. And I said, you're telling me there's not a barber shop from here for 200 miles? He goes, no, 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 there's plenty of barbershops. But where you have to go where you can get authentic bullshit. And this guy, it's nothing but authentic bullshit. That's what I, I, you know, he doesn't even cut hair that well. But bullshitting, he does well. That's what I come for. That's where the trip. Oh. So do you still go to a barbershop today? Well, uh, I'd have to get it. I'd, have, I'd be giving them a finder's fee because I don't have any hair anymore. Ah. Yeah, that's, that's one thing I miss, yeah. But I do, like, uh, I was uh, dating this woman, and she had this son that turned 18, and I said, uh, I'm going to take you out to lunch, and then we're going to do, we're going to have a little rite of passage. And then I took him to a barber shop, and I said, you know, this guy just turned 18, and uh, I want to I buy him a shave. And so went through the whole thing, you know. And, uh, you know, I, hopefully he'll remember that, you know, and that he'll, he'll have some guy that he'll um, do that for, you know, and uh, there'll still be people who can do that, you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And actually, uh, Eddie, he has a story about when he actually taught this kid how to shave. Yeah. That came into his shop and, you know, he didn't, you know, he didn't really have a his father wasn't really around and you know oh yeah it, yeah it was, it was well eddie tell the story yeah it was um so his dad wasn't around anymore as this kid he just started growing stubble and his mom came in you know like pretty frantic i'd talked to her on the phone previously yeah um yeah and she was like look i don't know how to teach him how to shave he's growing facial hair like I've, she's like, I'm at, I'm at a loss. I don't, I've told him to yeah. watch some videos. She's like, I, I don't know what to do. And so I had to sit right. this kid in the chair and step by yeah. step, like explain every product. Like, you know, this is what shaving cream is. You, th- these are the steps you should go through. Like from beginning to end, I taught this yeah. guy how to shave for the very first time. Mm. That was kind of a, kind of a wild experience when I stop and think about it. Well, yeah. What, what an honor, you know, to be that guy. And, you know, it, how different it is from looking at a YouTube video, you know, mm. with, the, with this was man to man. Right. Um, and I did have, so, while I was going through your book and reading about it, I hear about your experience. I hear about the history of the barber shop. I hear about its past, its future, and I uh, like. Uh, I mean, you reference him a lot, but there's this theme that seems to be running through the entire thing, and it's uh, Ray Oldenburg's book, The Great Good Place. Mm-hmm. And I was like, after I, you know, I saw you talking about him in the book and how you referenced him, I watched some YouTube videos on him, and then I ended up buying his book. 
and how integral the third place is to a healthy society. Right, yeah. Right, and, and the problem is we, the, the place that a lot of people think their third place now is is a, is a coffee house where they sit there with their earbuds in watching, you know, their phone or, you know, their laptop. They're, it's not a real third place. They're with other people, but they're not interacting with them. Mm-hmm. So they're missing out on the whole reason for the third place. The third place is where you show up, and it doesn't matter who you are. You know, that your uh, your rank doesn't, you know, your title doesn't matter. You wait your turn like everybody else. You sit and talk. You're, you're, you're the bricklayer, and your opinion matters as much as the surgeon's opinion over there that matters as much as the priest's opinion over there. Mm-hmm. So do you think there is... A, a, you think there is room in modern society or in the barbering industry for that model to come back? Well, I t- I've talked to college guys who, you know, they would say, well, you know, I started going back to a barber shop because it was cheaper. You know, it was half as much, and I got the same haircut. And then, you know, then they said, and I ended up liking it, hmm. you know. And, you know, they got to hear these stories that they never bothered to hear around their grandpa or, you know, they would hear something and they'd go, excuse me, my dad was in that war. I should ask my dad about that, too, you know. And and so, you know, if they go more than once, they realize there's something special here that I'm not getting at the, the chain hair salon. Mm-hmm. And so that's what they go back for. And then, then what happens is they're going to bring their kids, you know, they're going to bring their son. And so I think there's going to be a market like, you know, when I was growing up, you know, there was all you you could go anywhere in America and the beer tasted the same. Mm -hmm. It was all, you know, you know, a couple of big brewers and they just watered it down and, uh, you know, it it, it just didn't taste like much. Well, now, you know, you can't walk four blocks in in St. Paul anyway. And there's there's a, you know, a brew pub. okay, and so. You know, beer made a uh, resurgence because it be, it became old fashioned again. You know, mm-hmm. it used to be every town had a brewery, and they had their own their own recipe. So you drive twenty miles, and the beer tastes different. Okay, well now you know you can ship it around, and you can have all these different kinds of beers or ciders or whatever. So, had you asked me back in the old days, you know, when I was younger, you know, do you think there's a uh, a his- there's a future for beer? I'd say I hope not. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 a, it's a waste. You know, I'm, I would always tell this joke about, you know, uh, there was a big beer con- world beer convention, and uh, Hen- the guy from Coors and the guy head, head of Anheuser-Busch said, oh, we should, you know, there's that, you know, guy from Guinness, you know, poor guy doesn't know anybody, we should have to take him out for a beer, you know. So they go over and say, would you like to go out for a beer? You, oh, thank you, that's very generous. They go out. And the guy from Anheuser-Busch orders one of his beers. The guy from Coors orders one of his beers. And, and uh, they come to the guy from Guinness. And he goes, oh, uh, well, I guess I'll have a Coca-Cola then. <laughs> and uh, you know, the two guys go, I thought we were having a beer. He goes, yeah. But then you ordered that. That's not beer. <laughs> you know, and, you know, so I remember the first time I had, like, a non-chain, you know, non big uh, brewery beer it was like what is this stuff you know mm. this has flavor mm. and you know and and it was like 
a blinding flash of the obvious that this other stuff has just been been literally watered down to the point where there, there's nothing, you know, it's not worth it. And that I certainly think that you can do that with a, with a, you know, a hair salon where, you know, every one of them is identical. Actually, I got a call from somebody that was going to put together a, a line of um, barbershop products. And their whole spiel was going to be that was going to be old fashioned. And uh, so what they said, well, you know, they, they said, we like your book. And, and I said, so you want to, you know, want to buy the rights to use some of the pictures in my book for your advertising, which I thought, you know, that's going to be some money. And they said, oh, no, 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 we're, we, we're going to make, we're going to get a sound stage and we're going to make a barbershop. And then we want you to photograph that. I said, that's not a real barbershop. Huh. Well, yeah, we know. I said, well, no, I'm not going to lie and say that this is an authentic barbershop. No, I, I don't do this for a living. I don't need that. You know, I have, I have integrity here. I have, that's the reason I shredded those notes. You know, no, I'm not going to do it. Hmm. And, uh, you know, so I thought they'd call me back and say, well, you know, we thought about it. And we get your point that, you know, why make it up when we can have the real thing? But they never did. They just went forward on doing a, doing a fake one. Hmm. So that's the, the brewery thing that you talk about. You also talked about, that in the book and it's crazy um while we were all reading it it's we got together and that was one of the things that stood out to us the most is that um you know with the resurgence um of barbershops today everybody back in the 90s thought that like that was it right every barbershop was going to close down and that was going to be it but there's been a resurgence and now there's more and more barbershops popping up Mm -hmm. and it's crazy that you like in your book, you accurately predicted the way that barbershops are going to go um, as far as like being locally owned again, you know, by a barber mm-hmm. and every single one's got their own like unique thing to it. Um, it just that that's one of the parts that really stood out is that you had this like um, not forethought, but like. No, a little bit of foresight. Yeah, yeah some foresight. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you're a time traveler or something, but <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it, yeah, it yeah, just. You want to know who's going to be the next president? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just. I, I don't. <laughs> it was very. It 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 was it was just it felt so good that, well, one that someone cares this much about it, but also that they were to throw out this prediction, and it makes me really happy that all these years later that prediction came true. Because, you know, we're about this. We love this. And, like, even in uh, – we, we go to, um, like, hair shows. And hair shows yeah. used to be oh, yeah. just more cosmetology-oriented. But nowadays we're getting more barbers and even, at a certain point, barber celebrities yeah. <laughs> doing yeah. these training and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I'd say we're in, like, a second revival of that barbering that you find in like the late 1890s and post-World War II. And in, yeah. the, in your chapter, uh, The Future of Barbering, uh, you go into this barbershop and you ask the patrons of the shop what they think the future of barbering is. Yeah. And one man replies with computerized haircuts. You'll put your head in a machine and it will do the work. And my question is, with the rise of 
automation and advances in artificial intelligence, do you think that maybe in 30 years, barbering will be in danger of disappearing again? Well, I, I, I'm sure you could get a robot trained right now to do a certain kind of a haircut or multiple haircuts or thing, but that mm-hmm. wouldn't be the same thing as you can get a robot dog, you know, mm-hmm. but that's not the same as having a dog. And, uh, you know, why would people put up with having to clean up poop and stuff when they can have a robot dog that never poops? Because it's a robot. That's why, because it's not real, you know, mm-hmm. and that a, a robot dog has to accept you because it doesn't have a choice. It's a robot. And so I, I think you could, um, you know, I, here's a story for you about psychology. Here's, uh, people are saying, you know, that computers are going to replace therapists. Well, so this uh, local treatment center got this computer, and what would happen is the computer screen would say, you know, well, hi, what's your name? And then you type in Bob, and they go, hi, Bob, what brings you here? Oh, well, you know, I got a DWI. And it's my second one, so I have to get an assessment about whether I have a drinking problem. Oh, tell me more. And, and, and it just does that. It has these certain phrases that it, it prints that keeps people talking and, or typing. And what, uh, what happened was at the end of it, they realized how much information the person disclosed. But when they were asked if they felt any better, they said no. Hmm. And that's because they weren't disclosing it to a person. And that disclosing to a person and not being judged, you know, being accepted matters. Hmm. And so that's what I think is that you could, you you know, that, or like, I have a friend that uh, runs pizza places. And he says, you know, this guy came in and said, for 50 grand, I got this thing that people punch in, you know, what kind of pizza they want, and it makes the pizza. And you don't need any workers whatsoever. And what they found out was that people didn't like going to a window where the pizza flops out onto the plate and they take it themselves. They wanted somebody to bring it to them. Mm. That they wanted some kind of human interaction going along with this. Hmm. You know, they think about like in the 1950s when they had TV comedies, they didn't have any audiences and people sitting at home all by themselves, things weren't as funny. So they started adding laugh tracks. Like you were watching the show with other people and people reported that they enjoyed watching the show more. Same joke, just with with or without a soundtrack. Hmm. That's interesting. I went to a comedy thing last night. And I was sitting with people, and we were laughing. And I can tell you that that was a more pleasant experience for me than if I had watched it on Netflix. Mm. So you think there's always, well, I, I also agree with you on that. I think there's always going to, even if there is a rise in automation, I think there's always going to be a want for that human touch. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the books I wrote on psychology was the ethical use of touch and psychotherapy mm-hmm. is that the, the strange thing about that was I started my career as a helper when I was 16 years old as an orderly in a small town uh, hospital where, you know, the orderly does everything. I worked in the emergency room, the morgue, I've made beds, you know, it's 2 a.m., a light comes on, I walk in, you need a bedpan, you're a 20-year-old woman, you're an 80-year-old woman, you're a 60-year-old man, a 14-year-old boy, doesn't matter, 
I'm the per- person putting you on the bedpan those days. And uh, so I touched people all over the place. And I gave them back rubs and uh, bed baths and everything. Well, then they get a bachelor's degree in psychology, and I'm working in this intensive behavioral therapy with people with phobias. And they say, you know, when you get out there, get by the elevator, rub their shoulders, you know, help them relax before they get in the elevator and everything. And I get a master's degree, and they tell me, don't touch anybody. <laughs> and then I get another master's degree, and they tell me for sure don't don't touch anybody. And then I get a doctoral degree, and my supervisor says, I said, well, this client uh, wanted to shake my hand, and I wasn't sure what the policy is here. <laughs> like, really, where else on the planet would you ask that question, right? Huh. And uh, you, of course, you shake his hand. You know, that, that's what people do. You know, and uh, your wife said, well, I wouldn't do that unless it's maybe the maybe the final session. Then you could shake his hand. Huh. I thought, what is what is with that? You know, you know, I was married to a, a veterinarian, and you know, so I had two groups of friends: I had psychotherapist friends and veterinary friends. And my dad died. You know, I'd tell people, yeah, my dad just died. And the veterinarians would step forward and take my hand or put my hand, their hand on my shoulder. All mm-hmm. the therapists would step back and say something appropriate. Wow. And we're friends, but it was so ingrained to them, oh, you better not touch somebody because they might think it's sexual. Well, if you can't get safe touch from, you know, a doctoral level, double licensed therapist, where are you going to go get it? Seems like that would be the place, you know, Mm. that it would be safe. Mm. So when you use the word touch, you know, there's, you know, there's different kinds of intimacies. There's the physical intimacy of touch, but there's also the emotional and intellectual and even spiritual connection that people can get. And and that's the reason I think, you know, going to a church service is more powerful than watching it on TV. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I got invited to go to one of these mega churches and it's, it's, it's on a screen and the people drinking coffee and it's like, this is like going to the movies. This isn't like a spiritual experience. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I can also see that in the rise of, uh, I guess, more like smaller churches too, and people wanting yeah. to like move away from that. So yeah, that's that makes so much sense. There's so one of those churches animals, uh, you know, right next like, to my apartment, we, we, and uh, we, I drive past it to go to a, a better church, just like I would drive past Great Clips to go to a better barber shop. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Absolutely. So I have a I have a question. Um, you know, I'm if I ever find myself in the position of educating someone in barbering, I'm definitely going to show them your book. Um, and you know, also through this podcast, you know, I don't know how many barber I, I share this book with as many barbers as I can. Um, but if you you know, with the rise of traditional barbering happening today, if you had advice or something to say um, to barbers now uh, about traditional barbering and the culture and everything, what would that be? Well, one one teaching thing would be you could ask them to watch a, an episode of Cheers. Yeah. That, that show about the neighborhood <laughs> bar. Okay. And what happens when Norm walks in? Everybody goes. Norm! Everybody knows your name. Okay? Mm -hmm. There's actually a franchise of Cheers now. 
Mm-hmm. What? How sacrilegious is that? Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have a chain store of the neighborhood bar where they're going to be identical. If you can't do that, you mm-hmm. know, hey, let's have some, uh, you know, planned spontaneity. You, you can't do that. It's a oxymoron. Okay. So what you'd say is, look, I would say you want to be a barber. How come you want to be a barber? You know, because you you love hair. Is that why? You know, and uh, like. No, that's not what it's about. It's about relationship. And mm. you can get a haircut from anybody anywhere. You know, it's not, you know, no disrespect, but it's not really that hard to cut hair, right? I mean, somebody can be trained to do that. But being a good barber is a calling. Mm-hmm. And do you have that? Do you want to be somebody that the person wants to come back because of who you are, not because they got a haircut? That's the way it is. With, you know, I live in a town where there were five schools where you can get a get a doctoral degree in psychology. You know, I mean, the place is crawling with qualified people. Mm-hmm. How come I've been in business by myself for all these decades? I'm the business. Hmm. Right. They come because of me. You know, they all of my referrals are people. I say, well, how'd you hear about me? Oh. You know, my dad said that he saw you when he was my age or, you know, something like that. And, and, uh, and what did he, what do you tell you about me? Well, he said, you're like, you're like a psychologist only you don't talk like a psychologist. What does that mean? Well, like you're like a regular guy <laughs> and that's a, and that's a compliment. That's what he means by that. Right. If you're not going to talk down to me, hmm. like, oh yeah, you know, some stuff. You know, I'll say that. So what do you, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm an auto mechanic. Well, I've had a car since I was 14 years old. I'm 62. Do you think that you know more about cars than I do? Well, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Well, good, because I wouldn't want to pay you otherwise. Right. Do you think maybe because I've been doing this for 30 years, I might know more about communication or identification of emotions or psychological dynamics than you? Well, you're you're damn well better. Well, exactly. (laughs) That's what you're here for. I know more than you do about this. That doesn't make me better than you. It just means I know more about this than you do. And I'm happy to educate you because I figure I, I like satisfied customers. Hmm. Have you ever considered going out again and documenting the current state of barbering? Well, the problem is it's an expensive process. Right. That's and true. the other is that um, the book, here's what happened is I found a publisher and this guy published one book a year and he said this book is going to change my life you know he says i'm going to i'm going to sell enough your book is going to sell enough that i'm going to be able to publish two or three books a year and he said and it's going to change your life and uh it what happened was i had to co-sign a loan so that he could print do do the print because no banker thought it was worth publishing hmm. And then he sold so few of them that he said, would you be willing to take books instead of royalties? So I ended up with a garage full of my books and I would kind of sell them to, you know, uh, um, mostly to my clients, not, you know, my psychotherapy clients, not to, I, I carry them when I would go look at, at other barber shops and I'd say, well, you know, I published this book and they go, Oh, how interesting. I go, well, I have some in my car, you know, I could sell them, you know, cheap. Yeah, no thanks. And uh, so then uh, the Marvy Barber 
shop uh, bar supply company contacted me and said, you know, we want to buy the rights to this because we're afraid it's going to die. And so they gave me literally a pittance uh, because, you know, I didn't, you know, it cost 20,000 bucks to do another um, printing. And I just didn't think it was worth the, that's not a good investment. So it's still, and then the other thing is Amazon is people go on and they buy used ones. And so Marvy doesn't get any money and I don't get any money. So there's, there's not, you know, there's, it would have to be, I'd have to get a grant or something in order to do it. You know, it would be fun to do otherwise. So if I were to tell people to buy this book, I would direct them to Marvy? Um, yeah, if you go, yeah, you could, he could buy it from Marvy, then he would get some money. Yeah. Okay. I also saw some on Appleton Barber Supply. Is that uh-huh. in oh, any? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, any, anybody that's not Amazon, basically. Okay. I mean, unless you buy, if you buy the book new on Amazon, then Marvy gets some money. Okay. It's funny because when I was, it was actually quite, unless, uh, until the algorithm in Amazon realized what I wanted, they started sending me more barbering stuff. But actually, I was just flipping through AppletonBarberSupply.com. We're not sponsored by them. Um, And I actually found uh, your book there. And I was like, Dang, I should have bought it here. <laughs> yeah. But the the one one of the copies we got actually um has your signature on the inside. Oh yeah. <laughs> that was that's cool. That was cool. Well, it it you know, uh it is there there's there, either people have no interest in it whatsoever or they are really delighted by it. You know, and that's nice. I'll get letters, you know, but once a year I'll get a letter from somebody's usual letter, not even an email. And it'll just say, you know, I don't know if you're the Mick Hunter that wrote this book, but if you are, I just want to tell you, you know, how much it meant to me. You know, my, my dad was a barber or, or whatever. So, you know, that's that's nice to get that. Hmm. <laughs> so that's probably a no on the going to document the current state of barbering. <laughs> No, that's not. Yeah, dude, unless well, I retire and so and you know somebody gives me a grant to do it, dude, we got to get you a grant. We got to get this guy a grant yeah. ASAP. <laughs> well, and you know, funny people said, "Are you going to go do beauty salons now?" You know, the all women one. And I say, "No, I can't unless I wanted to dress and drag." You know, <laughs> I mean, if, as soon as a guy shows up, it's different. I mean, think about that. You know, you're in a, you're in a barber shop and it's all guys and you're talking, about that, and a woman walks here. Yeah. Doesn't things change? A little yeah. bit. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's not like, oh, my God, we can't, you know, we were doing something horrible. It's just like, oh, well, no, not, that's not the same thing. As I, I, I have this group of guys that I go hiking with once a year. And uh, one, one of the guys is gay, and we were talking, and this, the gay guy said, you know, I really resent what people call it a sexual orientation. You know, there's more to a gay relationship than sex. And I said, all right, what do you want to call it? He goes, I want to call it, how about if you say affectional? orientation and the other guy that's heterosexual says oh no that's not right what do you mean by that i said my my sexual orientation is women my affectional orientation is men like look around who are we going hiking with a bunch of guys that's what we like i don't want to have sex with you that's i'm not gay you know that's my, my sexual orientation is women my affectional orientation is men huh so we're in the first years of our career. 
Um, we loved your book. It gave us a lot to think about. Um, but there's this one specific chapter, chapter 13, the last day. Um, yeah. I think that, like, dude, that hit us yeah, hard. It really rocked us. <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, we, you know, we found that, you know, when you start being embedded in a community and being embedded in people's lives, like, you know, it gives a lot of late night haircuts their last minute, either for funerals, yeah. job interviews, right. weddings. Yeah. And yeah. Well, I mean, we're here for these people's like most important days. Yeah. Right. And Absolutely. so we've, th we've thought that, you know, uh, we've all sort of come to the conclusion that like, you know, it may not be exactly, we don't want to ruin too much for our uh, viewers, but that guy's also his retirement may end up being like ours, you know, just at the end, at the very end, we just sit down and it's over. I read the line, yeah. um, you know, you're like, there's, there's no cake, no gold watches, you know, that line over and over and over again. And I, like, I was totally okay with that. You know, mm -hmm. this guy spent his whole life serving his community and that was his last day. And he's like, he, what was the line? Something like uh, he worked on his feet for X amount of years. And now I think I've deserved the right to sit down. Yeah. Now he, yeah. He, he got the right to sit down. So it's like, I don't know, man. It just, <laughs> even think about it now, it, it, it's a super emotional moment. Um, I, I definitely recommend everyone who's even semi-interested into barbering, mm -hmm. you know, go pick up this book. It's, it's, yeah, I love it. Um, well, and I do wish that I had said, look, would you give me the honor of being your last haircut? Right. I wish I had done that. And, and I've thought about it. Another level to that is I just had a, a client who is a physician and he's retiring after 40 years and they want to have a party for him. And he says, oh, I don't want all that attention. I'm just going to just, you know, put my stethoscope away and I'm just going to walk out the door. And I said, no, you're not. You, you have a duty to your community, your patients, mm -hmm. for them to say goodbye to you. Don't, how selfish of you to just walk away. And just, like, like, like I, I went to a funeral of a guy who killed himself. Mm -hmm. And this one guy said, I had breakfast with that guy and then he went and killed himself. I'm going to have to live with that my whole life. Okay. Now that's dramatic. That's not retirement. But what I, what I, I think that the community needed some kind of a, a you know, a, a celebration of his life. You know, I wish that, you know, that, People had come together and say, well, you know, we're going to, your last day, you know, we're all going to show up and we're hang out with you. Hmm. That, you know, to me, that would have been, you know, the perfect ending. You know, I think the ending that I witnessed was more likely how it go. Yeah. Hmm. You know, so that was, the mo that was probably the most, well, the second most touching moment for me, but the, the most touching was that I was with this older guy and, uh, I said, well, you know, I got to go now. And, and he went to his 
cabinet and he took out this razor, really ornate straight razor. And he said, my, my, uh, dad gave me this razor when I went to barber college, he was a barber. His, mm-hmm. his dad was a barber and I looked at it and I, you know, I said, that's gorgeous. You know, that's, you know, wonderful. Thank you. I appreciate you, you know, showing me that. And he said, I want you to have it. Wow. I said, well, wait a minute. Like, I know you have a son. And he goes, yeah, but he doesn't get it. He said, I, he, he'll throw it away or sell it on eBay. Mm. I want you to have it because I know you'll protect it. So I have three of those. That happened to me three times. Wow. Yeah. You know, I was... So I have, a, I have a mounted and, and a, you know, you know, like in a very beautiful case. And, you know, people say, well, what, what's that? You know, and, you know. But you can add a barber, and say, oh, no, you know, my dad wore hair pieces, you know. He didn't go to the barber. And, uh, you know, he was like, you know, different than, we both lost our hair. He decided the disguise that he had. And, but, the, you know, I tell this story, and, and people are like uh, awestruck. Like, wow, that's, you know, aren't you honored by that? And it's like, yes, I am. I, I really get it, what that, that gesture meant to that person. Hey, Meg, no, I, I, it would be an insult to refuse it. Yeah, it definitely would have been. Um, I also agree with that one barber um, in your book that asked you if you if you were a barber or if you would like reconsider. I think you'd make an excellent barber. Um, yeah, just, just in a different time, I guess you would have been uh, you would have been an excellent barber. Mm-hmm. Well, who knows? Maybe with reincarnation, I was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or I will be. You know, and I'll, you know, then I'll be, I'll be reincarnated, and I'll get that Mick Hunter's book and say, "No, here's the guy that got it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Mick, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for talking with us, and uh, you know, Ooh. dare I say, I mean, I, you know, I'd love to. Uh, talk with you again sometime on the podcast maybe about other topics sure. three sure. more That'd minutes you can, when you when you go on amazon you can look at all my other books and so, a lot of them are about um sexual abuse and stuff but mm-hmm. i got books on spirituality and uh um uh i'm so you don't have to have a problem to read some of my other books, you know, some of them are, well, sometimes some of you'll say, Oh, I read your book and they don't say what one. And I say, Oh, I'm sad to hear that. There's one <laughs> about sexual, sexual abuse in the military and one's about sexual abuse of boys. And, and, uh, so I, I get letters from those where people say, thank you for, you know, taking the time to, to speak to me like that. But yeah, I'd love to talk about the spirituality ones. Cause we kind of were talking about the sacred here, you know, that, yeah. that, the you know, it, you know, you see the, the barber in the white, the white outfit, you know, or, you know, that that's like priestly garb, mm. you know, wow. this, this is that, that ritual, you know, that I, you know, now you're a man, you know, go forth and be a man now, mm-hmm. or you're forgiven for this, you know, they tell me your story and you, and you're, you're lighter now and you know, it won't go any place, you know, that you've, you've, you've gone to confession. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll link a bunch of your books in uh in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, we'll put so them all that, in the description. Yeah, so that people could check them out. Um, yeah, that that spiritual episode, we'll have to get you back on for that. 
Um, but again, seriously, thank you for taking time off of your yeah. busy schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we we appreciate it, and I hope everyone else will uh, really get something oh, out of fun. this. So where's your shop now? Where what what part of the country? Woodstock, Georgia. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, if I'm ever down there, I'll uh, stop in. Dude, absolutely hit us up. Yeah, you have Jacob's <laughs> okay. numbers, so, uh, dude, I can't yeah. wait to see you in there. All right. All right. Thanks. It was fun. Take care. All Bye. Right. Take, Take care. care. Bye. Okay. Bye. We did it. Yeah, we did it. All right. That wraps up our interview with Dr. Mick Hunter, author of the American Barbershop. Don't forget to uh, rate and review. And links will be in the description down below if you want to purchase this book and uh, support uh, Dr. Hunter. Goodbye. Yeah. All right, bye.